Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, August 7th. We begin with a look at the retooling of the federal government's Investing in Canada infrastructure program. Minister of Infrastructure and Communities Catherine McKenna explains the increased focus on resources aimed at seniors and children. Next, we get the latest, somewhat surprising numbers on insolvency cases in Canada. Details on what BDO Debt Solutions describes as the calm before the storm. Next, we head to Canmore, which has just joined the list of Alberta communities that have implemented a mandatory mask bylaw. We speak with the town's mayor, John Borrowman, on what was behind the decision. And finally, it's a new approach to weight loss. We speak with a professor from the University of Calgary about new guidelines aimed at changing the way doctors treat patients battling obesity. 609 on the morning news, the Minister of Infrastructure and Communities, Catherine McKenna, made an important announcement on uh, Tuesday regarding new measures to keep children and seniors safe that are being welcomed by groups such as the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and others. And she joins us now to discuss it further. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, Andrew. Uh, Well, I want to break down the fine details here because uh, I understand this is a a change-up to the Investing in Canada Infrastructure Program, adjustments being made, and I'm wondering what, what prompted these changes. Well, I mean, look, I think everyone's recognizing uh, how tough it is out there. Uh, and I know that's true in Calgary. We've got many losses as a result of the pandemic. Those are human losses, uh, but also there's huge economic costs. And I think we've learned some lessons, and that's the intent of the changes. It's to help reduce the impact of the pandemic, um, protect lives, uh, and also rebuild businesses and create jobs. And if you think about where our real vulnerabilities are, um, we know we need to improve safety for older people who are living in long-term care facilities. Uh, I'm a mom. Um, I know everyone's parents are really thinking hard about school for children, uh, and it's great, you know, to get school kids back, but we need to make sure the kids are safe. And there are very practical things that we can be doing uh, to to change the infrastructure there, to retrofit. Um, I did an announcement at um, the Boys and Girls Club, and they were talking about having plexiglass. They were talking about having better ventilation, um, having to physical distance the kids when they were in different areas, which would require some changes. And so that's really the intent uh, of the, the changes we're making to the infrastructure program. So in the context, let's talk about Alberta. Mm-hmm. That, uh, Alberta would be able to take 10%. Um, of the the investments under their inf- the infrastructure program, so that's 340 million dollars, um, and they would be able to use that for retrofits of long-term care facilities, health facilities generally, schools, um, and the other thing we recognize is the need to get out to nature. Um, people really, you know, really needing to get out in their communities, and so that could be bike paths, more nature trails, and it's also about jobs. Uh, these are projects, so the changes would mean not only, um, so we're putting aside this money in a new COVID-19 stream, the federal government will pay 80% because we recognize it's very hard for cities and for uh, for provinces. Um, we're going to speed up the, the project approvals, but these are for projects that could be done by the end of 2021. So that's also jobs because we have to be squarely focused on jobs as well. These could be good construction jobs. And so it's just about being practical. I'm a practical person. This is not new money. This is about looking at what we're doing and how do we actually adjust it to the situation that we're in. This is really tough for people. And we're going to be living with COVID-19 for a while. And so we need to adjust and make keep, keep people safer and, and also create jobs. 
Minister, can you tell us the breakdown between, you know, the provinces and territories and the municipalities themselves? So when you look at a municipality, is the, the, the are the monies coming straight from the federal government straight to the municipalities, or is it given to the province and region to dole it out at, as they see fit? Like, I guess what I'm getting at is, are they set amounts uh, yep. earmarked for the municipalities? Well, our infrastructure program works directly with provinces. So this would be the $340 million would be with a province. But, I mean, the province, you know, they work with municipalities. They work with communities. And in terms of the 20% split, it used to be a third, a third, a third for different orders of government. In this case, uh, you know, the 20%, if this, you know, the city really wanted a project, they wanted to go ahead, they had the money, they could put up the 20%. Uh, it could be the province. Uh, it could be another partner. And what we're trying to do is just be really flexible and recognize, you know what, it's tough out there financially uh, for cities and, and for provinces, um, and that we need to make these changes now. We don't, you know, we need to change, make changes to long-term care facilities. We need to take changes to schools. And the reality is I've been in politics for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think regular people really care what level of government is making the change. They just want it done. And, you know, it's 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 fine to, to be an, an armchair quarterback and take pot shots of whatever party happens to be in power at basically at any level of government. Uh, but these are unprecedented times. And I know we throw that term around a lot. So I'm yeah. wondering if you can give us some kind of a, uh, you know, an idea from where you sit, what it's like to be governing. And again, you mentioned you have more than a couple of years under your belt uh, in a time where there's no roadmap and uh, there is no, you know, this is the exact and and, uh, and fit that we need at this point. So tell us about the challenges during COVID-19 from where you sit. Well, I mean, the challenges I see, the challenges real people face every day. Like, I hear from folks all the time. I hear from, you know, parents are scared about sending their kids to school. Um, people, you know, who have older parents in long-term care facilities or businesses. I mean, businesses are really, really struggling. And, and this is the time that government really needs to step up and adapt programs. And I, I mean, I think, you know, we're not perfect. And, but I think you've seen, you know, the, the cities, the provinces, the, the federal government really step up and say, okay, how do we support everyone? And so whether it's for, through um, a lot of people are, are on CERB to make sure that they have enough money to pay their bills, um, or uh, different programs for businesses to be able to support them, including the wage subsidy so they can keep people employed, or changes that we're making to our infrastructure program. Like, look, we have to adapt. Government isn't always, you know, great at adapting, but I think we've seen this in COVID-19. And then when, you know, then you have to adapt more. You'll, you know, and we, we've said this all along. The Prime Minister has been clear. Like, you know, we're just going to have to keep on one foot in front of the other, looking at how do we support Canadians changing programs. Uh, we're heading into the fall. We'll see. I know that the Canadians are working really hard and our numbers are good. Um, but we have challenges, including with the United States. And you talked about another challenge I just heard to you, um, the tariffs on aluminum, yeah. uh, layered on top of everything else, which is another very big concern for our economy. So now we're having to address that. We've said we're going to have dollar-to-dollar retaliatory tariffs. Um, look, in politics, you, you just I, I got in because... I wanted to make a difference for my community, and, and I'm in a position to help Canadians. And that's, that's what I try to do every single day. You just work, wake up, and you hopefully listen to people, and, you know, you do your best. And, and governments can't do everything. And, and that's why we need, you know, schools to be working with schools. We need to be working with long-term care facilities, businesses. Everyone out there is trying their best. And i got to say, I'm really proud to be Canadian.
you look at how everyone has reacted, how people are working really hard, generally following the the advice that they're given, and we'll get through this. And that's the point. We'll get through this. We adjust our infrastructure program. We're still focused on jobs, and we'll get through this, and we'll continue building our country. And that's something that I think is incredibly important. I'm, you know, as, as Minister of Infrastructure, it's short-term, sure, jobs now. But it's also how do you build stronger, cleaner, better communities? So we're just trying, you know what, just wake up and you do your best. Yeah. we got about 20 seconds uh, left, Minister, but I'm wondering, this was announced on Wednesday. When can we see these dollars in action and these changes implemented and the money's uh, being funneled to, to these uh, you know, much-needed uh, areas? Well, provinces are already getting us lists of projects. So um, for anyone out there, communities, um, you know, certainly the province, we're ready. Uh, the streams, are, the stream is open and the turnaround time is really fast. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to get these projects built. We need to make these investments to keep kids, older parents safe, uh, you know, have more nature, more cycling paths. So get them to us. And I, uh, I know my team, uh, we're all working hard to turn them around. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. That is the Minister of Infrastructure and Communities, Catherine McKenna. It is 617. Time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at hellowestdistrict.com. Northbound McLeod Trail looking at about a 20-minute drive from Stony Trail up to 17th Avenue downtown. On Stony Trail from Deerfoot in the southeast around to 16th Avenue in the northeast, taking about 15 minutes at the moment. Southbound on Highway 2 from Airdrie, taking up to 20 minutes as you make your way down to Memorial Drive. And coming into town from Cochrane on Highway 1A, about 25 minutes as you make your way down to 16th Avenue. The Love You by Shoppers Drug Mart program is committed to advancing women's health. Visit shoppersdrugmart.ca slash love you to learn more. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. 909 on the morning news. Consumer insolvencies have hit a record decline, which may lead you to believe Canadians are managing their money. However, these statistics do not reflect the reality of the pandemic-related financial stress households are experiencing. And with the Canada Emergency Response Benefit winding down and deadlines for deferrals drawing near, filings are expected to rise up once again. We're joined by BDO Vice President Marie Kozlowski. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us this morning. I was I was shocked to hear that, but yeah, you you dig a little deeper, and not all is rosy. It just seems like a bit of a pause, perhaps. Yeah, it's 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 essentially a calm before the storm. I mean, we do know that the statistics are down. You know, forty three percent on Q over Q one Canadian wide, Canada wide, and thirty thirty two percent in Alberta. But as I said. That it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive as well because it looks like it's a good thing, but we know that really it's a calm before the storm. And uh, we know from previous statistics, um, household debt, ratios, living, people living pay, paycheck to paycheck. You know, people have lost jobs. They've lost income. That kind of income shock will have an impact. What's, well, and that will be felt in the months to come. But what's really been keeping Canadians afloat, as we know, is CERB, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the last two months of CERB are August and September. And if you've been receiving CERB since March, this month is your last month. You know, oh, nearly $63 billion have been pumped into the economy through CERB. Nearly over 8 million people, Canadian, Canada-wide, have received it, and over a million in, in this province. So that's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece of the puzzle is... The deferrals and uh, 
the banks have uh, supported Canadians by approving more than 760,000 mortgage deferrals, more than 445 credit card deferrals. I don't know if that includes lines of credit and other product, but, you know, there's no doubt that those are, people have been able to manage up to now because of those two things. And uh, the, real, the real impact of COVID is about to, to hit us. And, you know, uh, I think it's not just myself as a licensed insolvency trustee that think this. Uh, my colleagues across the country do believe we'll see a dramatic rise in defaults and uh, in consumer insolvencies. And uh, as I said, the calm before the storm. You know, and, and Marie, do you think that, you know, when, when these deferrals were presented uh, by the banks and by the lending institutions, there was no smoke and mirrors. This is not a, a free money handout. Do you think that people are just maybe a little too short-sighted and, and not thinking that this money is going to have to come from somewhere months down the line? You know, uh, we can't blame, um, I'll, I'll say, say Canadians don't, didn't think about that. It, the, the economic shock to households was, you know, intense. And the whole, you know, it, it, financially, but also, you know, the, the concern for health uh, in, the, in the COVID situation. But, you know, Canadians now and Albertans, Calgarians really have to, you know, put a fine uh, focus on uh, what they're doing. You know, do they have any savings? Um, what's their current income? What's their, gonna, their income going to be on a go-forward basis? What debt do they have? Have they actually accumulated more debt during COVID? And, you know, are, are they keeping up with payments now? If they have deferrals, do they have a debt repayment plan? And, you know, that's a hard thing to get to, particularly when you don't have a job and things look bleak. And I talked before about household budgets, but, you know, Contactless payments has become a huge thing during COVID, mm-hmm. and contactless payments is very difficult to track your spending, so it can really impact on your household budget. So, you know, people who are finding things tight now and even considering using more credit to get out of it, use the lowest interest rate credit. You've got to remember, as you said, debt has to be repaid, and they need a plan in place to repay the debt. And it's my understanding that a lot of these deferrals are going to end in September. There may be some extension, but still, at the end of the day, um, you know, the debt will have to be repaid. The, the, mortgages, uh, the mortgage payment amount is going to have to be repaid, and the credit card debt may or may, may, or may not be, have to be repaid with interest. So this is something that's um, there's a looming problem mm-hmm. and it's really difficult for an individual to get their head wrapped around it once they've gone through all of this this strife and um, you know so I'm, I'm very sympathetic and people need to reach out now they yeah. there are options um, you know they don't need to live month to month um, with this kind of stress if they reach out now there probably are more options than waiting you know a few months down the road um, that would be my recommendation you know contact a licensed insolvency trustee find out what we can do to help you um, some people need a fresh start they may need to leave some debt behind but you know I think the licensed insolvency trustees are the people to talk to and we do know what options are available and we're all easily contacted by telephone these days as well. Many many offices are closed, but mm-hmm. we can do everything we used to do by telephone in a safe manner. You know, you, you mentioned that the first step is, is maybe reaching out to, to talk to a professional. And I know it's not a one-size-fits-all, but if somebody sits in front of you, what, what, what kind of a, a plan can you give somebody when they really don't even know which way is up right now? How would you start somebody? 
Well, you know, firstly, what we would do is, you know, have an initial conversation and then try and drill down and get some numbers, find out what they owe, find out what their budget is, look at their options and say, you know, realistically, these are your options. These are the pros. These are the cons. This is how it will impact you now. This is how it may impact you down the road. And, and give that Give, give people information because when you have information, you're empowered, uh, Andrew. And you know, many people do feel that once they've gathered that information, they'll go away and digest it, and then they'll make a, they'll come up with a solution that's best for them. And as I said, you know, leaving it month to month. And to be honest, I've seen people leave it years, and they've gone through such. Um, dreadful financial stress, eventually prolonged financial hardship that they, they do seek relief. But I'd say at this point, with this pandemic and, and the impact of it, people need to reach out now. They need to have the information to look at it and be able to make an informed decision for themselves and their families. And, you know, that's what we do as licensed insolvency trustees. We give the information out on a, in a non-biased manner. And then individuals can make a choice. And, you know, many people, it's, it probably would be the most important step that they make, picking up the telephone mm-hmm. and getting information and then going down that road um, empowered. They have the information and the knowledge and then they make the right decision. Even just the stress, like not having any answers whatsoever or thinking that there's somebody who, who can listen to you and perhaps, uh, you know, guide you down some sort of a path. I can't imagine how that feels. Well, you know something, I, I would say that from my perspective, personal perspective, in my practice, July was the highest month in probably the last four or five months. So things are, are really beginning to accelerate. I speak to people every day many people a day. And yes, there's tremendous stress. But, you know, some people want to go into detail. Some people want just a little bit more information. And we can provide that. But, you know, and the information is available. It's available by calling us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an easy, easy, easy number to remember, 855-VIDEO-DEBT. Even a local number, 403-777-9999. You can get a hold of me. And then there's the internet. There's lots of information there. But I think what an individual has to do mm-hmm. is go to the website of a licensed insolvency trust we are federally regulated yeah. by the office of the superintendent of bankruptcy and our own um, you know associations many of us are CPAs etc so you can rely on the information that's on there because there's a lot of misinformation out on the internet so you go to debtsolutions.bdo.ca or you google licensed insolvency trustee and you'll come up with the information and it's reliable Yep, just uh, check the credentials and uh, start making a plan. Some great advice. Thank you so much, Marie. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Andrew. That is Marie Kozlowski, BDO Vice President. Right now, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Enjoy spectacular views of the city skyline and the Rocky Mountains. In the southeast, water is pooling at the intersection of 52nd Street and 130th Avenue. Some drivers are swerving at the last second to avoid it. Make sure to exercise a little bit of extra caution there. Over on Glenmore Trail, westbound from Stony Trail over to Deerfoot, about a 10-minute drive. Eastbound on Glenmore from Sarcy over to Deerfoot, it's about a 12-minute drive. Northbound McLeod Trail from Stony to 17th Avenue downtown, a 20- to 25-minute drive. And southbound on Highway 2 from Airdrie, 20 minutes down to Memorial. The Big Spin $5 scratch ticket is here, and you could spin the big wheel for a chance to win $500,000. Available at your lottery retailer. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Phil Jensen. 
Mask, gloves, soap, scrubs, tick, tock, grub, hub, twings, jocks, bears, cubs, zoom is the new club, six. I don't know where he finds these songs. That is Brian on the board there, 749. A mandatory mask bylaw will go into effect in the community of Canmore at noon today. Here to update us with what it means for visiting the mountains and residents alike is Canmore Mayor John Borrowman. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good, good. So, you know, I, I heard reports that I think it was uh, Wednesday in Jasper. Banff has had the, the bylaw for, for a little while now, and you're, you're the last of the of the major mountain getaways uh, to adopt this. Why was the decision made? Uh, for very similar reasons to all of the other towns and cities in the province, I suspect. Um, you know, it really is important that we do all we can to control the spread, and, you know, we would have to bend over backwards to prevent another outbreak. There, there's a great concern here that if there was uh, to be another shutdown, uh, many of our businesses and residents just wouldn't be able to survive another shutdown uh, financially. And, you know, stress levels with our residents uh, are quite high. Uh, ultimately, um, it, uh, although I was listening to the comments uh, made by Danielle just a few minutes ago on your show, and clearly, people have to understand the point of the mask and how to use it. Uh, it's one one more source of protection against the spread if, if the masks are properly used. And, um, you know, right through COVID, we've, uh, we've always um, depended on the advice and recommendations from uh, Dr. Hinshaw as the Chief Public Health Officer, and she continues to recommend uh, wearing masks uh, as well as hand washing and social distancing, of course. Can you give us some of the particulars that, of what we'll see in Canmore? I know in Jasper and in Banff there are certain, you know, outdoor venues or, or roads mm-hmm. where they're mandatory. What, what will it look like in Canmore? Yeah. Uh, Canmore is more like the uh, city of Calgary, I, I would uh, suggest. Uh, the um, mandatory mask bylaw is only in regards to indoor public spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, outdoors, we felt that our, our main street, which we have closed off to traffic, uh, there, there's uh, enough room for people to keep that social distance if, if they're um, trying. There is quite a bit of room for that on main street. And, of course, people um, are wearing masks uh, voluntarily outdoors. I, I see an increasing number of people wearing masks uh, uh, throughout town. Let's uh, let's talk about enforcement. Is this going to be something that is you know recommended, or is it an education thing, or will there be a fine attached for not wearing a mask? There is there is a fine attached. Of course, all bylaws have to uh, reference that, and there, there's a um, minimum fine of a hundred dollars, uh, maximum up to ten thousand. Um, but truthfully, this the, the bylaws largely educational in nature. Uh, and with one of the main intents being to uh, support business owners in, in their efforts to support mask wearing in, in the indoor public spaces. We have uh, a very small uh, bylaw officer team. There's three active officers right now. And frankly, it's one of the disappointing things about this whole situation that, that the province wouldn't have taken this on. Public health really is their mandate and, and municipalities like the town of Canmore we don't have the capacity or resources, frankly, to um, to manage this sort of a public health issue. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the update, and uh, we'll grab our masks when we're coming out to Canmore. Appreciate it. 
You bet. Thanks very much. That is Mayor John Borrowman, Canmore Mayor John Borrowman. Thank you very much. Forty-nine on the morning news. A new report recommends focusing on root causes, mental health, and doctors' own biases when it comes to losing weight. It's a lot more than simply being told to lose weight from the uh, recommendations of this study. We are joined by Dr. David Lau, co-lead of the guideline and professor at the University of Calgary, with more. Good morning to you, Dr. Lau. Good morning, Andrew. It's interesting because I have personal experience from this. You're in the doctor's office, and uh, the doctor says, and I'd like to see you lose weight. <laughs> you know, and, and I've never taken offense to it, and nor would I if I hear that phrase again. Uh, but you're here to tell us that that's, that's not an effective way to, to spark that change. Well, I think you hit the nail right on. Um, I, I think one of the most important changes are, are the updates in the 2020 obesity guidelines is the fact that we want to make sure that all healthcare professionals, be it primary care uh, physicians, specialists, and healthcare professionals, we need to understand that there's a lot of bias towards weight and obesity, and that contributes to problems in terms of people living with overweight and obesity, uh, accessing care or even going to see healthcare professionals because they often uh, kind of become the, the, the victims and they often blame for the failure to, uh, to achieve a healthier body weight. So the, one of the major points of the guidelines is really to alert to the healthcare professionals that we all have inherent biases that we really need to approach our patients living with overweight and obesity in a non-judgmental, compassionate, and empathetic way and ask for permission to talk about weight instead of just telling the person you have a weight issue, let's start by you know eating less and walk more but because we know that that doesn't work and time immemorial told us that you know even with the best form of diet and exercise people can lose at the most maybe three percent body weight which doesn't amount to much mm-hmm. some obviously are better responders if they adhere to the healthy behavior changes but the difficulty is really to keep the weight off because most people when they look for quick fixes they get on a diet they lose weight quickly only to regain it back over time because what happens is we now have a much better understanding of what happens to people who have lost weight and their hormonal and metabolic changes in a body that tells the person to regain the weight so in other words the appetites start to go up mm-hmm. and we often as healthcare professionals tell our patients it's your fault that you're gaining the weight back instead of understanding that there are actually physiological changes as a result of weight loss so these are some of the new information that we have incorporated in our evidence-informed guidelines that hopefully will provide a minimum standards of care to people, to Canadians living with overweight and obesity, to have better access to care and to have better uh, management strategies to help them to lose weight on a more permanent basis. And realistically, rather than focusing on what changes on the, on, on the weight scale, but rather we want to focus on the excess body fat-related 
comorbidities or health conditions such as high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. So we want to focus mm-hmm. on health rather than body image issues. Well, thank you very much uh, for bringing us details on the new guidelines. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Dr. David Lau, professor at the University of Calgary.